we're invoicing people for things they didn't even agree to. Mm. So you want the return, but did they actually sign up to give you that? Or is that just your expectation? And then I take it further to say, does your expectation meet other people's capacity? You're listening to the Redefining Wealth podcast with Patrice Washington. This is the space that we come to each and every week to learn more about what it means to chase purpose, not money. And why do we do that? Because we're a community that doesn't subscribe to the surface level definition of wealth that you're probably familiar with, which is money and material possessions. We go a little deeper Actually, we go a lot deeper and we subscribe to the 12th century definition of wealth, which says it's about the condition of well-being. So what I hope to do here every time we crack this mic is talk about the other parts of our lives that inevitably will impact our finances, even when we're not thinking about it. So if you're brand new, I want to invite you to go check out the six pillars of wealth. These are the pillars that we really lean into here on a weekly basis. You can learn more at patricewashington.com slash six pillars. That's patricewashington.com slash six pillars. Now, today I'm super excited to get into this conversation, which I'm going to file under the fit pillar, maybe some of the faith pillar I just know it's going to be good because I have seen um, and been impacted so much by this woman's work. And, you know, this season is all about my journey to redefining love. So that's love of self, love of God and love of others. And I wanted to really introduce you to the tools, the resources, the music, all the things that I've really been leaning into to support me in this season. Because I believe that you need some practical stuff, right? Some skill set to go along with the mindset shifts that I know you have when you come to this podcast. So before I introduce you to Nakia Homer, let's get into the affirmation of the week. You know, you got to speak positivity into your life, into your day. You got to affirm positivity. You got to affirm abundance. You got to affirm yourself to wealth. This week's affirmation is, The pieces of my life are falling into place beautifully. All things have the power to work together for my good, even if my view is slightly obscured at the moment. The beauty of life is understanding that when I view my circumstances from a different perspective, I have the ability to reframe the narrative and reimagine the ending that suits me. Everything I have experienced must come into submission with serving my highest good because I believe that nothing has happened to me, but everything has happened for me to become the best possible version of myself. I bless the hard times just as much as I celebrate the good times. I bless my enemies just as I cherish my besties. I am grateful to have a front row seat to how the picture of my life all comes together. Declare with me today, the pieces of my life are falling into place beautifully. 
Okay, now I want to give you her real bio before I tell you how we met and all that stuff. So Nakia Homer is a best-selling author, well-being educator, and self-healing guide with a degree certifications and 20 plus years of professional experience. Her real expertise comes from lived experience after healing her own wounds and turning her own mess into a message. Nakia's work is dedicated to helping you see value in your own lived experience to offer a new approach to healing and growing to guide you on your journey to creating a life that means something and to usher you into your purpose and calling just with the intro alone you know that this is going to be such a good conversation without further ado here is Nakia Homer (laughs) hi Nakia welcome to the redefining wealth podcast thank you so much for welcoming I was trying not to look at you while you were reading that Hearing Why? people tell you about yourself, read that back to you is always so um, surreal. It surreal. Is. But I loved hearing it in your voice. <laughs> well, I understand what you mean because, you know, oftentimes I'm being introduced on stage and I used to find myself trying to rush people through the bio. <laughs> and mm. I had to sit one day like, what is that about that I'm not? willing to embrace and accept like this is you Mm. you actually did these things you actually persevered and I think sometimes because I know my flaws I know how much I've struggled through I am fully aware of all my life's failures like I have so much evidence of the contrary I realize that even listening to the bio I am a walking contradiction Mm. I just felt that I'm a walking contradiction to the family I was born into, to the environment I was raised in, to so many of the experiences that I've had. It doesn't feel like I should be here Mm. sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I've been learning to like embrace when people read my bio now, Mm -hmm. because I realized for a season, Nakia, I was not fully accepting all of who I actually am and some of that which is why I invited you here some of that is what kept me in spaces way past the expiration date Mm. because I was allowing people to treat me like Patrice from 20 years ago and the Patrice of the last 20 years has done so much work to get here that she should be honored she should be loved she should be respected and she should be cherished for that. Absolutely. Because she did the work. She did the work. Yeah. Yeah. And when people are reading it, you know, especially like my bio or listening to someone else's bio, I'm just trying to live my life. Mm. Most of that time, I'm just trying to survive. A lot of that time, I'm trying to figure it out. So in the the presence of the version of I, of the person that I am today mm-hmm. hearing about the version of myself that I used to be there is some cognitive dissonance there mm-hmm. the reality of who I am versus what I had to go through to get here <sighs> the reality of who I'm called to be in spite of the circumstances that we're born into that we're pushed into it's like there's always been this version of me living and residing in me even when I was that little black girl in the projects yeah You know what I mean? And so, so many people are like, I'm so excited about what you're doing. Partly, I'm like, I've always been this. I've always been here. 
I'm just being me. You're just seeing a version of me that you can with that you can stomach, mm-hmm. that that's you palatable. can comprehend. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's it. Digest. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm good with all of me. Yeah. And then hearing that, thinking about what I had to survive and go through to get here. It, it, it puts it puts a little bit of a it puts me in my place a little bit. Yeah, too. because I, I know that you can identify with this. You may speak or, you know, post something and people drop into your DMs or meet you in the back of the room and they're like, oh, my God, your story is amazing. And you're like, thank you. But, <laughs> you know, like that was a really raggedy time. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful that I could turn you know, those things into lessons that now will hopefully help you have a better journey because I'm open to sharing what I got from that season. But when you say that's an amazing story, I'm like, well, this story has actually been quite shitty. (laughs) In different parts of it, it's been a roller coaster. And I know for you, there's a lot. So like teenage parents, NICU, did Me? I read that about Absolutely. you? Yeah. Yes. And I really resonated with some of that because my daughter was born 10 weeks prematurely. And mm. so she had her stint in the NICU. And there, I want you to tell your story because I just know roller coaster. Lots of things. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely been a bit of a ride. Um, I always talk about, you know, I have been blessed to do a lot of the things that I wanted to do and didn't know I wanted to do. Um, but it started with. Two teenage parents, you know, my mom was 15, my dad was 16, depending on whose story you believe. She didn't really like him. He didn't really like her. I don't know how you can really like someone at 15. (laughs) I don't know what they were doing Mm -hmm. uh, by themselves at 15, but whatever they had to do to get me here, I'm grateful for Mm -hmm. it. Right. But what can you do with the baby at 15 and 16? Um, Some people, what they're able to do with their children as teenage parents is just brilliant. And then some people, it takes a little bit of support. It takes a little bit of help and assistance. And that came in the way of my grandmother who fostered me. She brought me home from the hospital. I was in the hospital the first two weeks of my life. Um, So I said, I've been fighting since I've been in the wound. Mm -hmm. I survived the possibility of an abortion. I survived the shame and guilt that my mom must have felt being 15 year old and pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, I survived, you know, being born with meconium in my lungs. And so I had to fight through breathing and getting here. And I didn't even know that until my son was in the NICU. And my aunt was like, you know, this happened to you. And I was like, really? (laughs) No one told me. Then I'm. At an, a, a retreat or a conference or something for work, and my mom just out of nowhere calls me and says, you know what? I call you my miracle baby because my mom gave me birth control every day. She put it in my mouth, made sure that I swallowed it, but you're here. And I'm like, all of that just to get me here? Wow. <laughs> there must be a reason for it. But yeah, I grew up in the projects with my dad, and my uncle, and my aunt in a three-bedroom apartment. My grandmother did the best she could to raise me, um, working up to three jobs. So it left me alone a lot. Um, you know what they call it, like a latchkey, latchkey kid. kid. <laughs> I had a little key around my neck, walking to school and home and locking the door, sometimes sneaking out, you know, <laughs> doing what I wasn't supposed to do. But at any rate, um, just part of my story 
is the the pivotal part of my story. It is the moment that really just redefined um, how I saw myself, how I saw my life. I was sitting in an assembly um, with other people like me from the hood, and there was this adult there, and it's funny, she had her hair pulled back in a ponytail, red lipstick on, and she started to talk about statistics about people like us. So she said, if you were raised in um, a home where there was drug and alcohol abuse, you'll probably um, be engaging in some type of drugs and alcohol of teenage pregnancy, then you'll be a teenage pregnant person who's pregnant, abuse, then you'll do that. Poverty, you'll do that. Smoking, I mean, just everything. And when I tell the story, I always go, first of all, how do you know my life? Like, you're Mm. literally telling my business. But then secondly, in that moment, I was like, not me. Mm-hmm. Not me. There are times when people say things to us and it really penetrates because it already resonates. Right. And then there are times when it really just goes over our head because we don't feel it for ourselves. I didn't know who or what I was going to be. I'm still not much of anybody compared to all of the other people who do the work that I do. I just knew that being somebody's baby mama that having to push through, my mom had to push through, probably couldn't have handled it. Mm -hmm. Um, Living in poverty just wasn't going to be the story of my life. So I set my first goal at 10. No teenage pregnancy to get out of the hood. That's all I wanted. And then Mm -hmm. the third thing that came a little bit later was to not be the victim of domestic violence because every woman in my life was a victim and every man in my life was a predator. So I just saw the people that I knew and loved and I knew the story behind the circumstances. I knew the story behind the addiction, the story behind the teenage pregnancy. I saw them for who they really were. Thank God that I was able to see my family, my loved ones in that way. And I just went on a mission to show them that it's possible to do something else, Mm. to live another way, to be something who you may not have seen someone be in your life, but you can be that in the lives of other people. So when I talk to at-risk youth and teens, when I talk to my siblings, my cousins, and the people I grew up with, I'm no better than them. Mm -hmm. No better. I didn't do better in school. I wasn't prettier. I wasn't anything other than someone who just wanted a different life. That's all I wanted. So surviving is just all I've really done. And that's what got me here. I resonate with this so much because I remember growing up in South Central Los Angeles and not the best neighborhood. Um, Lots of gangs and gang members in my own family and lots of Uh, Not drug use necessarily in my family, but drug dealing Um, and seeing people do drugs in the alleyway behind my house and Mm -hmm. knowing that I have friends whose parents were prostitutes Mm -hmm. and everyone that I walked home with from elementary school, like always a situation. I'll just say that. And I remember being about 10 years old and telling my grandma, I don't belong here. And I didn't know how to articulate it. And I remember maybe like the fifth time I said it my grandmother was really offended, Mm -hmm. you know, and I looking back, I understand because I'm a first generation American. So my family fought to be in this country and even being in Lemur Park, South Central Los Angeles, in their eyes was so much better than being in Belize at the time where there's not many opportunities or jobs and all this stuff. But I remember like looking out the window or walking home and just seeing things in the street and being like, no, I don't I don't want to live like this for the rest of my life. Like there's got to be more Mm. and making a decision 
that governing decision. I'm going to get good grades. I'm going to college. And I remember being like 15 and telling my mom, when I leave, I'm never coming back. I'm never coming back. And I remember freshman year when it was time to move out of my freshman apartment, my mom was like, "Okay, well, what day do we need to come get your stuff? And I was like, can you give me a U-Haul? I have an apartment already. I had already signed up for an apartment with my (laughs) grown self, 19 (laughs) um, and signed up for an apartment. I was like, Mom, I really meant it. And I and I heard her feelings because I remember Mm -hmm, her feeling mm -hmm. some kind of way. Uh, But I literally never went back in that way to live there. Um, So that doesn't mean, though, because we made these decisions (laughs) that (laughs) life has been just smooth and everything (laughs) has just been so purposeful (laughs) and, and purpose driven. I know much like myself, you've still gone through a lot. Um. I'm sure mentally, emotionally, Mm -hmm. when you say this is how like that was the story that led up to me getting here. So I know we met years ago, Mm -hmm. which feels like at least 10 years ago to me. Yeah. Something close to it. Right. Absolutely. So Nakia and I met at an event and neither one of us had no hundred thousand plus Instagram followers. I don't even know if Instagram was out at that time. I don't even time. know if I was on Instagram. Yeah, I don't like. I know I wasn't on Instagram, and I was just really getting consistent with Facebook mm-hmm. at the time. Um, but we met at an event, and then I d- I really don't know what happened. <laughs> I feel like all of a sudden, I know I was on your email list for mm-hmm. a while, so I would get emails here and there, but. Then one day I was scrolling on Instagram and I see this like quote card and I'm like saving and saving and saving. And then it dawns on me. I'm like, oh, my gosh, (laughs) I know her. I've met her. And then I hit you up like, hi, do you remember me? I felt like such a nerd. Hey, (laughs) do you remember me? I think it's been some time. So catch me up. Like I have a confession to make. My relationship with looking good is so complicated. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I like high quality clothes. I just don't like going shopping and I definitely don't always want to pay high quality prices, if you know what I'm saying. Plus, I don't always want to wear the same stuff over and over again. So I was super excited when I found out about the clothing rental membership armoire because they are making getting dressed stylish, but super easy. When I signed up, I took a five minute style quiz and based on my preferences, they offered suggestions that would best match my lifestyle. I'm filming in a few weeks and I literally just got the cutest blazers delivered to my door in as little as two days. And when I'm ready for new clothes, I can just swap them out for more new to me styles. So whether you're planning your outfit for a date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a gown for some black tie event, you will be the best dressed person in the room and you won't have to feel bad for only wearing something once. Now, What I also love is that Armoire is woman-founded and woman-led. They even spotlight women-owned designers on their website, so I know I'm wearing brands that are aligned with my values. I love that I can support a business that's built by women like me. If you're ready to have your dream closet delivered to your door, you might want to try Armoire. I promise you will never be without the perfect outfit for any occasion ever again. And right now, Redefining Wealth listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash wealth. That is armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash wealth to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. 
Yeah, I've definitely remember you. I've mm-hmm. been following your journey the entire time. Um, not a very forgettable person <laughs> or <laughs> personality, you. very strong presence. So I too am on your email list. Oh, so, crazy! Yeah, I get your emails. Um, I have been. Nothing that I've done outside of setting that first goal at 10 has been as intentional. Like you said, it's not always as easy Mm -hmm. and pretty um, as people would want it to be. What I do is follow whatever's happening in the season of my life, whatever my needs are or whatever I need to do to survive. And Mm -hmm. so in the past 10 years, I've gone from being a full-time music creator, um, topping the billboard charts and doing my thing there, um, homeschooling my children, um, moving. I went back to Jersey for (laughs) for a year and I hopped on Instagram and I hopped on just to keep in contact with some people I knew. It was private. Mm -hmm. um, So no one you know, followed me or saw my work. I was just saying things here or there, Um, but just showing up in the way that I knew how and just telling my story as you do, Mm -hmm. um, just kind of opened doors for me to continue to do it. I've been speaking since I was a kid. The the church ladies used to say, come up here and say something. (laughs) (laughs) Would you want me to do this announcement? (laughs) You read good. Exactly. Tell your story. (laughs) So I've been doing that in some way, shape or form. But to bring what I did, you know, in person online was a bit of a struggle. And Mm. there was this whole thing around money. Who's going to pay me to tell my story? Um, Then there was this, um, you know, I'm supposed to be doing, supposed to Mm -hmm. be doing this or that. You know, when I left my work as a social worker, to be a music creator my family was like are you crazy you got a state job from the hood that's like the jackpot yeah you work for the state you set you don't need to go nowhere do nothing else so doing that and then you know writing and speaking and sharing in the way that I I have done has not been as intentional but the way that I got here is how you teach us to do which is to focus on our purpose Mm -hmm. my theory is that our purpose is to become the best versions of ourselves whatever that looks like whatever it feels like whatever it facilitates that that is what you're supposed to be doing that is why you exist as a result of doing that then we're introduced to talents and skills and gifts and things that pay us then we're introduced to interests and hobbies and things that keep Mm -hmm. our heart and our minds and our spirit operating at its best. And then we find love or we find that the love that we have is not what we want or need. Mm -hmm. And as we continue to do that, the people who are we are called to kind of latch on to the pieces of you that they're called to. Mm -hmm. And so people just kept asking me to share. And I just was obedient to sharing. Um, I didn't see any value in it. So I didn't charge. I would go everywhere for free mm-hmm. I went right on blogs for free and then people started asking me how much I charge so I'm like let me find a number <laughs> <laughs> to, to tell you to pay me and so I started to um, work as a copywriter and really mm-hmm. just helping other women tell their story um, their personal story and how it attaches to their business story so I, as a ghostwriter, some of your favorite Instagram influencers I was writing their stuff helping people identify their brand voice and then I said I'm doing all this for everyone else. Mm. 
You know, what am I doing for myself? My daughter is looking at me do all these things for everyone else. What is she seeing me do for myself? And she would ask me little things. And so I just took some time to really just reevaluate what my purpose was. And I know now that my purpose is to continue becoming the best version of myself, Mm -hmm. to continue honoring that 10 year old, then the 16 year old, then the 20 year old, then the confused version of me, the very confident version of me, the me with no low self-esteem until we meet in a space where we're just good you know Mm. just at peace not necessarily rich not famous I got a couple followers on Instagram but don't nobody really know me (laughs) (laughs) you know I've sold some books but I still have more to do but Mm. I'm good with being me so in the past 10 years I've just worked to be good at being me oh I feel like that's the season I'm in Mm. is like really just to the point of your book, and I'm going to slide it over. Slide it on <laughs> all the right pieces, but like embracing all the pieces of me. Um, because being known as a finance expert for so long, when I sought out to do Redefining Wealth and I wanted to talk about all these other parts of my life, that I had to get over yeah. that you know, mental block that I have where I felt like, well, will people be able to receive this from me? Will they allow me to talk about mental health and physical health or, you know, relationships or all those things? I'm not trying to present myself as an expert in any of that stuff. I'm like, this is how it's impacting my life. Mm -hmm. This is what I see in my clients. This is what has informed my work. Um, and can you can you accept that from mm. me? But it really wasn't could they accept it from me. It was could I accept yeah. bringing all the pieces of me to the forefront? Mm. And this season is all about redefining love. And that includes self-love mm-hmm. um, and love of God and love of others. But that self-love piece. Woo, mm. OK, this is so good. You often say you can have the desires of your heart, but you got to heal first. Mm. And. There is so many goodies in your book. This, let me tell y'all, all the right pieces. When I tell you she has been on, I don't know how many planes, trains, and automobiles at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, all last summer, I was on a road trip mm-hmm. and I would just pull it out if I was waiting somewhere or doing something. Um, and it's literally one of those, like, you could just open it up and read and be like, that's what I'm going to meditate on for the day. Mm-hmm. That's pretty mm-hmm. much how I use it. So yeah. it's not like I'm trying to read it straight through. I'll just open it and just sit with whatever, because I feel like that's divinely what I needed in that moment. And this has been so instrumental as I've navigated divorce over this last year or so um, in accepting and embracing and loving All the pieces of Patrice, Mm. like the good, the bad, the what y'all like, the what y'all don't like. Right. Yeah. It's allowed me to show up. A lot more bold and confident in spaces where I think I had the appearance of being really confident and I would but I was really still struggling with like limiting beliefs around belonging Um. And just being in spaces where I felt like I could fully, fully be myself. And the more I've just like been like, I mean, you're going to get all of this today. (laughs) How like however I feel like I could start out very professional and get very hood on you in a second. And and these are both Patrice. So you just go. This is all me. So you can't really have one piece of me without the other. Mm. 
Yeah. That's what your your book has been doing and your Instagram posts. I appreciate that you were able to connect with it and that you literally could have written a book. It's the story of both of our lives. Mm-hmm. It's the story of all of our lives when you really think about it. You know, our our backgrounds are kind of similar, but but they're unique to us. And I think this idea of self-love, which I say sets the tone for every other thing. So it makes sense that you would talk about finance and then shift into talking about the wholeness of wealth and all that it entails, not just the one piece Mm -hmm. of it. But I spent a lot of years in pieces. You know, there was a piece of me living with my family in the, in the hood, my, my grandma, there was a piece of me that longed to be with my mom. There was a piece of me that grew up every morning, um, going outside, and seeing syringes on the ground and then getting bused to a new school in another city with a whole bunch of white folks here, this little black girl from the hood. Mm -hmm. And I left that piece behind to join this piece of me. Then there was a piece of me who was brokenhearted at 16, 17, then got brokenhearted by the same person, heartbroken by the same person again, piece of me trying to figure out how to get to college. So I've just spent all of these different seasons of my life doing what I needed to do, Mm -hmm. you know, to survive, to be okay, and then trying to leave them behind. Right. All that stuff that you talked about walking home from from Mm. school and witnessing, that's traumatic. Like Meek Mill was onto something when he talked about oodles and noodles, babies and and trauma from the hood. Um, And I thought I was good. I survived. I made it out. I did what I said I was going to do. And you literally feel like, oh, well, I left that behind. It's done. It's a wrap. But you can't just leave it behind. You can't. And you're not supposed to. That's my that is that is the beauty of self-love and acceptance knowing that you can be all that you are the story of your life can include anxiety depression love loss grief comparison high self-esteem confidence it can include being poor being rich all of that and still be your story Mm -hmm. who told you got to leave some of it behind you can't Mm -hmm. be in a boardroom and be proud of being first generation to get out of the hood I'm not going to stop telling that story I remember there was a season when I was trying to be this speaker, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to talk about how, you know, I started working with my childhood idol and music and doing all this good stuff. And people were like, no, tell the story about growing up in the hood. Tell the story about having, you know, a teenage parents. Tell the story about not really seeing yourself. And I'm like, why? Because they're like... In order to get from all of that to here, we want to know what you did. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm com- people would tell me, I complain about my life. I have both my parents. We had money. We had cars. We, and I'm complaining. You are having your story, and I don't hear you complaining. First of all, I got a lot to complain about, <laughs> and so do you. You don't have to have this tragic hood story in order for your story to be relevant. Yes. Your rich parents who don't see you. Is still a tragic story to you. It traumatizes you every time they say you have to go into family business and you want to be an artist. Mm-hmm. It's traumatizing to say, I don't want to be a teacher. I went to school for it, paid all this money, and right. I really want to be, you know, an author or whatever. That's tra- traumatic as well. And so just holding space for all of the stories, all of the seasons, all of the versions of ourselves, that's what All the Right Pieces is all about. I finally am okay with mm-hmm. all of me. Oh, and what I've learned in this season, too, is not to weaponize who I am today or what wisdom I carry today against former versions of myself, Mm. because 20 year old Patrice is the one who started therapy, you know, or 21, I think, when I started therapy. Um, 
you know, 25-year-old Patrice decided to do certain things, 30-year-old, 35-year-old, and all of these pieces of me and these seasons deserve to be honored. Mm -hmm. I used to, especially when I, you know, was contemplating divorce, Mm -hmm. I went through a season of being upset or a moment um, because my coach didn't let me sit very long in that. (laughs) I was like, how do I forgive my younger self for not walking away when I know I should have walked away? And she was like, forgive? She got you here. The audacity Audacity. of you to be upset with her. All of those decisions are why you carry the wisdom you carry today. Like everything that you have experienced is why you have the compassion for people Mm -hmm. that you have today. Had your 21 year old self, 25 year old self, 30 year old self not made those decisions you wouldn't have gotten the lessons and the very lessons that you use to bless your clients or to share on the podcast or to put in your books, where would they have come from? Where? And I started to bless my younger self and thank her. Every mm-hmm. time that feeling came up of like, oh, that's not the story you want to tell. You don't want to. I'm like, no, actually, I'm so grateful that I made that choice at the time that I did because it was the best choice I knew to make at that mm-hmm. time. I didn't have the tools. And because I made that choice, it led me down a path of searching and seeking and yearning yes. to find resources or figure out new mindsets, new rituals, new whatever that now have become such a big part of my life. But had I not had those experiences and made some of those not so wise <laughs> <laughs> decisions, I wouldn't be who I am. Yeah. Now, I know you are loving the Redefining Wealth podcast, but do you know what would take it up a notch? It's if you invested in a copy of my brand new book, Redefine Wealth for Yourself, How to Stop Chasing Money and Finally Live Your Life's Purpose. Now, on the podcast, you hear me talk about the six pillars of wealth every single week. That's fit, people, space, faith, work, and money. And I want you to incorporate this into your life. But let's be honest, the podcast isn't enough. I poured 114 lessons from my own life, the rituals, the mindsets, the behaviors, the attitudes that I had to shift in order to redefine wealth for myself in each one of these pillars. And now I've made it available to you. So you can make sure to pick up your copy in paperback, hardcover, or even listen on Audible. Whatever you do, make this a part of your library today. Two things. So when I talk to my clients and they're telling me about the things that they don't want to forgive, the moments that they're like, oh, this was, you know, so stupid of me. You know, I just didn't know who I was. I'm like, first of all, I'm going to need you to put some respect on the version of you that withstood criticism. Mm -hmm. Heartbreak, rejection, betrayal, uh, betrayal, all of the words that your parents spoke about you or over you, you survived that to get here. Show some respect to the version of yourself that didn't give up when you should have, that didn't quit on you when you could have. The only reason why we're having this conversation, the only reason why I'm here with you is because 10-year-old Nakia said, not me. The heartbroken version of myself said, I will love again. I will create a life for myself. I am not hidden. I am not unworthy. That version of me 
they weren't saying it in that word on these words, but they were doing their best. Secondly, we're judging ourselves from this wise old version of ourselves. <laughs> wait, wait. Before we started recording, you guys, Nikki and I were like, well, you know, you over 40, you wake up and stuff just be popping and locking and not feeling right. So it ain't what they told us. I thought my 40s, I was going to be in my prime. I'm looking at Jada and Vivica and I'm trying to get up and down the stairs. <laughs> they tell me the whole story. But yes, it's like you can say that as this version of you. But was it really stupid with the amount of information mm -hmm. that the older version of you? They didn't have the degree. They didn't have the experience. They didn't have the wisdom. They didn't have the coach. They didn't have the money. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So. Was it really stupid or was it really the best that you could? Yeah, definitely you know? the best, the best. Um, I wanted to do a little something where we just turn to a page in the book, especially because I have so many things dog-eared. So just turn to the page in the book because this is how I use this book in the, as a part of my morning um, ritual and just talk about what comes up because this has been a blessing. All right. So let's see. Here we go. Ooh. She finally realized what she was carrying and decided to protect it at all costs. So fitting. So fitting, right? Yeah, definitely my season. So fitting. You finally realize that you're worth more. You finally realize that your, your, your tenacity, your courage to pursue something, no one else in your family, that was so important. That you had no other choice but to tell your mama, mm -hmm. just bring the U-Haul. <laughs> <laughs> I got some place I already got set up for me, mm -hmm. you know? That protected at all costs. That has been a big thing mm. for me most recently. Um, I've always been protective of my space, but... I mean, everything, my energy. I literally went through a season of clearing house, cleaning house, because... Even in my business, I was like, I will not fund frustration. Mm. Anything that frustrates me must go. Anyone who is frustrating me must go. Not willing to express my frustration in an effort to like, you know, make it better. But once I've done that, I'm like, no, you deserve more than this. This is a season of scaling joy. Anything that is threatening your joy mm. on a daily basis in even the slightest way you get to say no, mm -mm. yeah, no, and and protect it at all costs, and it's been very liberating. It has. It's hard. I still have to work at this. The whole mm -hmm. carrying part, the first part of that passage, mm -hmm. she realized what she was carrying. A lot of times, the people in our lives don't see what we're carrying. Mm. Because they're not carrying it. It's not mm -hmm. their load. It's not their thing. And so to go against what, what is invisible to other people, but so plain and so heavy for yourself mm -hmm. is is courageous, mm -hmm. right? And it's worthy of the effort. So, yeah, she finally realized it. And when I talk about she, the whole first section of the book is all she. Mm -hmm. Um I don't want to turn anyone away um, because I have some beautiful male followers, people who identify as men. And they're like, I know this is for a woman. I'm like, you can take out whatever part um, mm -hmm. that you need. If it's true to you, if it resonates, allow it to. I was telling my story, so I'm a she. Um, but tell your story. If you're carrying something and protecting it, that's for you, too. Yeah. Yeah. OK, let's do another one. Ooh, OK. Let's see. Be discerning of the energy 
the time, the investment, the intention you receive in return for the energy, time, (laughs) investment, and intention you put in. Don't go planting your seeds in temporary places and expect to see a harvest. I just shared that yesterday. I think it was on Twitter. Really? I think I reshared that yesterday. If it wasn't yesterday, it was the day before. And so many people were like, explain this to me Mm because I feel it, but I don't know why. And then other people were like, yes, yes, yes. And I intentionally used all of those words Mm -hmm. and repeated those words because we give so much of ourselves to other people and very little to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right. Your daughter gets it. Your son gets it. Your husband gets your wife, your boss. Everyone gets so much of you. And then whatever you have left over, you're like, if I have time, then I will. If I can take a bath, then I will. If I can eat, then I will. If I have enough money, then I'll do this or that. When you when you look at what you're investing and what you're getting in return, if it doesn't match, if it doesn't add up, if it's depleting you, if it's too draining, if you're planning. Planting seeds in relationships that are not fertile, hoping that one day it'll be fertile, Mm. you know, loving and married to and dating potential. um, You got to be mindful of that. And we get angry at everyone else when the truth is my my therapist and I just got in therapy. I thought I was going for grief. Um, 2020 almost took me out, literally. Mm. Um, But she's like, we're invoicing people for things they didn't even agree to. Mm. So you want the return, but did they actually sign up to give you that or is that just your expectation? And then I take it further to say, does your expectation meet other people's capacity? So just be discerning. Just just think about it just a little bit. Mm. When you're resentful, just think about it. Does your expectation actually match other people's capacity? Yeah. Oh, I know For myself, one of the things that I've learned is like to give people the dignity of their own process Mm -hmm. because we can put such weighty expectations on people who literally they just don't have it. And Mm -hmm. even if they say they want to do better, the desire and the capacity are still two completely different things. I do this work around healing parental wounds with my clients. I had to do the same for myself. Just we have this idea, this socialized idea of what a father is and what a mother is. And then we have the people who are actually our fathers and our mothers. And it doesn't always add up. Mm -hmm. And not because they don't want to be, but because they literally can't. They literally can't. Mm -hmm. And so when I stopped expecting my mom to be the mom in my head and allowed her to be the mom that she could be, when I stopped expecting my dad to be this man that he couldn't be for himself, let alone for myself, it freed them to be themselves. It also freed me two ways because I could hold space for what I needed and they didn't give me. You could do that, too. Mm. Sometimes people's best is not good enough. Yeah. It's not. It's their best. My grandma did her best. Those three jobs left me alone. Those three jobs depleted her. And she came home mean and upset and angry. She did her best, but she raised me in the projects. Mm-hmm. I needed to be somewhere else. So she did her best and it impacted me. But I could still hold space for the fact that it was her best. Then when I look at her, I can look with her, look at her with compassion and with empathy. When I look at my 15-year-old mom and I think about myself at 15, 
and the expectation of that and what that might have looked like when I saw my daughter for the first time and thought there's no way no one else could raise you. That was my capacity, though. Mm -hmm. My mom said, I didn't know what to do with you. So she did her best, which is give me to my grandmother. Mm -hmm. Right. So it has to match your capacity. There is something about becoming a mother, too, that also, for me, it has created a next level compassion for my mom because, again, being first generation American, my mom was the one who worked really hard to send money back home to take care of everyone else. Right. So also just being um, from an immigrant family, there's a whole nother dynamic that goes beyond because these are family members I can't see like I don't know them where is your money why do we live here (laughs) like I got questions why are we here we don't have to be here right and my mom had me at 30 so twice your mom's age but when I was 30 and I was 30 year old knees and back (laughs) I'm sorry I just had to I had the whole space for your mom (laughs) 30 wait but when I was 30 and I'm looking at my daughter, even though she was only like four at the time, I had my daughter at 26. Mm-hmm. I still used to look at her when I was 30 years old and be like, oh, my God, somebody left you with me. When are these people like, I know this is my child. I love her to pieces. And also some days I'm still quite concerned Absolutely. that I am responsible but oh, my gosh, enough for another life. I still remember having these feelings and I'm thinking. And I was married. Right. And, you know, I I was employed at the time and I actually had a spouse who was employed. And so I had all these advantages that my mom did not have taking care of multiple family members. My brother, who was 10 years older than me, was in and out of juvenile halls and Mm -hmm. prisons and all this stuff. This lady was stressed to the max. And here I was about nine years old. I wrote her a note. And I put a note in her purse when she was going to work. She never acknowledged getting it. But the note said, if you didn't want me, why did you have me? Mm -hmm. And I thought because she worked so much, she just didn't want me. In my nine-year-old brain, I had created an entire story that someone who was literally working 40 miles, I think, away from our house and driving back and forth every day and working on holidays and doing all this stuff— I made in my nine-year-old mind that that was because she didn't want me. Mm -hmm. And I remember my mom was moving into um, the place that she lives in now, and we had surprised her with this home so she could retire and not have to worry about where she would live and all this stuff. And I asked her a question about something from, like, back in the day elementary school. And my mom took out this manila envelope with all this stuff from my elementary school days Nakia, when I tell you it was pristine, it was like report cards from first, second, third, fourth, fifth grade. There were certificates. There were all my school pictures, like all the class pictures. There were like all of this stuff that she had kept for 30 years Mm -hmm. so meticulously. And I didn't do it in front of her. But when I realized that, I just like I wept. Mm Like, and really had to sit with a conversation of the nine-year-old version of myself that was like, she couldn't come to everything because she was just working. Mm -hmm. It wasn't because she didn't want to be there. And I I made a governing decision when my daughter was little that I would be it as much 
as I could possibly be at. Mm-hmm. Um, but now sometimes even with my daughter who is in everything, Lord, if she joined <laughs> one more sport, Lord Jesus, like she is in everything and there's always something going on. Mm-hmm. And now I done signed up to be a basketball mom. So wow. I'm running concessions. That's what <laughs> y'all might call me the money maven. Essentially, though, I run concessions <laughs> at the basketball games. Right. And like there's all these things. And I still find myself saying to her sometimes like, well, Reagan, I have to work. Yeah. Right. And. I'm like, she's going to create a story no matter how awesome I think I am. She still is going to have her own story about my mom was always working or it always. I mean, we're very present. We spend a lot of time together, but I'm like, she could still have a story that's not even rooted in what my intention or desire is. And that's the I have so much more compassion for my mom because I'm a mom. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Same. Nikki, I want to talk to you all day. Can I do one more? Can I just do one more? Let me just turn. Ah, ah, this is what happens. Things to stop doing so you can heal. Come on. Replaying the past. Looking for closure. Waiting for an apology. Pretending you are okay. Trying to prove how strong you are. Ignore or downplaying your feelings. Blaming, shaming, and judging yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh, you just busted somebody's whole day. I don't think I had turned to this page yet, but (laughs) things to stop doing so you can heal. Which one of those do you want to just take? I don't know. Well, all of them are kind of part of this thing that we do as human beings. We're programmed to really protect ourselves. And so when we see a risk of harm or injury or rejection, we make up stories, right? Our brains, we have to, based on research, we have to fill in the gaps with assumptions. So when people say don't assume, it's like your brain is wired to assume. It's a machine. It needs to know what to do for you, right? And so the reason why I worded things to stop doing so you can heal is because those are things we had to do to protect ourselves when we are hurting. Mm. But what you do in survival mode is not what you can do to maintain this version of you who can go into thriving, who can go into that soft life that's trending on social (laughs) media right now. And you can't do that if you're pretending. You can't do that if you're denying yourself access to your feelings. You can't do that if you're making assumptions instead of doing the work to really find out what the story is, what the deal is, what the truth is. So that's what that page is about. Things to stop doing. You don't have to do that anymore. Mm. What big one that stands out for me is waiting for an apology. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, And You know, I've learned and have been learning and, you know, new experiences give you an opportunity to uh, rehash some things you thought you already had mastered. And one of those is that waiting for an apology. You know, I have learned that you just have to move on and choose to forgive whether Mm -hmm. someone says I'm sorry or not. Absolutely. So we talked about what we what we've been doing the past 10 years since Mm -hmm. we met each other. Right. And my social media was not popping. I didn't have 100,000 followers. No one was following me. There was one thing that went viral in 2020. And that is I pray you heal from things no one's ever even apologized for. 
right? I wrote that mm-hmm. back in 2019, the year before my grandmother passed away in March of 2020. And my dad, um, who was her son, who died three months later. So I spent 2020 grieving in the middle of a pandemic. My, di- my dad passed away from COVID. Oh. So I wasn't even able to be there for him. Um, what happened then was everything that we think will reconcile one day. My dad and I had a good relationship, but it was the one that we could have based on our capacity. And I always had this hope that it would turn into something else. And when he died, it that died too, the hope of that. And so I had to reevaluate what I thought we needed to heal because I'm not going to go the rest of my life hurting over something that I can't do anything about. There are apologies in the grave. So we can't say that we won't heal unless we get them. And I got an apology from someone who hurt me. It did nothing. They were so sorry. Had this whole story (laughs) about why they did what they did. And I was just sitting there like, Mm. didn't help. Yeah. Didn't help. Sometimes we're looking for closure, thinking that we want someone to say something. But you know why it doesn't help? Because we've already experienced the pain. We can't go back and unfeel what we felt. We can't go back and unlive through what we've what mm. we've experienced. So the idea of healing anyway, in spite of the apology, is what we have to do for the versions of ourselves that we are now and who we are becoming. I don't need an apology to heal. I can choose to allow myself to still be angry when I need to be, to to hold space for the resentment, to be mad at myself for the decisions I made, you know, mm-hmm. just for that moment as I'm working through it. But we can get through it without the sorry. Oh, that's so good. To me, that sounds like just adding humanity to healing, right? Like giving yourself the space to just be human instead of looking at healing as this, you know, you have to be so yeah. evolved and just like so super deep and spiritual. It's like, no, no. <laughs> For me, healing is responding better and better and better each time. So if I yell at you, but I ain't cuss you out, I'm healing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If I forgive you, but you can't be in my life, I'm healing. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? If I go a day without thinking that I'm not worthy, um, but then to Tomorrow, I feel bad about myself and I'm in the house in some lounge clothes. I'm still healing. Mm -hmm. It's responding as this version of yourself, hoping and working toward responding better and better each time. Oh, that's so good. Okay, before I let you go, let me ask you a few redefining wealth, rapid wisdom questions. First thing that comes to mind, how do you define success? Being okay. Just looking at my life, looking at myself and being okay, not perfect, not completely healed, not completely rich, just content and okay. Mm. How do you define wealth in three words or less? I got options. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That is a redefining wealth first. I got options. Perfectly said. Okay. What's one book that has helped you redefine wealth for yourself? Hmm. Gotta be. You are a badass at making money. Jen Sincero. She's been on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, Yes. I love that book, too. Yeah. Yeah. Game changer. Very much so. My prices went up as soon as I read it. And somebody actually paid me. Yeah. And I I read it like twice a year. I do, too. Just for like that. 
Okay. Okay. That's so good. Okay. Um, you're going to fill in the blank. My name is, and for me, the truth about wealth is. Hmm. My name is Nikia. And for me, the truth about wealth is that I have a right to it. Amen. I love it. Nakia, thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate this. Ten years later. I know. Don't wait another 10 years. No, it won't be another 10 years. Let me get your number or email or something. <laughs> it won't be another 10 years. It won't be another 10 years. Um, you guys, All the Right Pieces by Nakia Homer. She has other books. I'm just telling you that this is one of the books that has just been a part of my ritual, my routine, just something that I have really used in this season of transitioning in my marriage and just like changing things up. Um, it's been such a blessing. So I wanted to be able to share it with you. So uh, we will make sure that we link to the book in the show notes. Go and show Nakia some love on social media. Go follow everything you can, Nakia Homer, and mm. get yourself blessed um, by her work and her brilliance. If you want to come discuss this episode, come on over to the Redefining Wealth Facebook community. We can chat more about it there. What were your big takeaways? And of course, rate and review the podcast. It really helps other purpose chasers from all over the world get tapped in um, to all the great things that we talk about here. Also, tag me, Seek Wisdom PCW, um, and share this episode with everyone you can. I truly pray it's a blessing. Until next time, I want you to go live your life's purpose, find fulfillment, and earn more without ever, ever feeling like you have to chase money. I'll talk to you later. 